0: You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples in churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. All right, Katie, thank you very much. Just glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and this is a really interesting week to be here that i uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians. That we're going to be spending our time today in the passage that, that Katie just read. That um, that he's interacting with people. That uh, that this is the background. That that they thought of themselves as having like next level like insight and wisdom into things, and like very spir- spiritually mature. They would have thought of themselves as the spiritual varsity played on Friday nights, and that they um, had like now, yeah. Paul would tell you the basics and the cross and the resurrection, but kind of look both ways but we've got a couple extra things that we've learned, you know, that kind of deal. Like we, we but there's some other things that like only a few people know and they really loved like ideas and philosophies and new ideas and they really fancied themselves at the very top end of maturity and understanding and they were also incredibly gifted people that they, um, they could talk good and they could do a lot of things, even spiritually, um, they had some spiritual gifts and there's a lot of, so these are gifted, intelligent people that would have thought, hey, because of what we know and because of our experience, and because of our gifts, we are the spiritually mature and those poor things over there are not so much. And so he's going to be engaging them and being like, not so fast, my friend, you know, Lee Corso voice. And him just saying, let's just think through this a little bit. And maybe spiritual maturity isn't exactly uh, exactly in line, like the, uh, just a, a perfectly uh, correlative relationship with um, how long you've been around, how old you are, um, how much you know, how gifted you are. Sometimes sometimes the fact that you may be very gifted and very smart and have a lot of, um, have a lot of abilities and that it may actually hide the fact that there may actually be a lot of spiritual, and even emotional immaturity in someone. So it's, he's just going to turn things on end, but um, without doing a whole lot more, I'd like just to jump into the passage and so you can see what we're talking about. Let's reread the first four verses that Katie read just a moment ago. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, because this is exactly what they thought they were. It's like next-level spiritual. It's like, I wish I could talk to you as spiritual people, but um, but as people of the flesh. And so in other words, you're just... You know, it's like human beings. Like, I, I can't talk of y'all as spiritual people, as infants. I mean, you really want to get aggressive here. It's like, y'all are babies. Y'all like to think of yourself as like next level, incredibly mature, but you're infants in Christ. doesn't mean that you're not Christians. It just means incredibly spiritually immature. I fed you with milk, not solid food, you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. So he's like, hey, you're you not ready for like real, uh, real people food yet. We're still doing the Gerbers. You know, we're doing formula is what we're talking about. Um, you, your, your infants, again, this, this would have just been like ice water to the face because these people thought of themselves as incredibly mature. Um, for you are still of the flesh, for a while, and he's going to point to why. Uh, for a uh, while, there is still jealousy and strife among you. You are uh, you are uh, you not of the flesh and behaving only in human way? Are you not uh, of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one, one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos." Are you not being merely human? So they've got these factions around Paul and Apollos, and apparently, Apollos is a pretty good guy. Uh, but there's these divisions and strife, and uh, so here's the thing. They thought of themselves as mature, and there's a lot of different ways this can happen. Um, And I think we have to, this is one of these things that we have to really take stock of ourselves, and it's so hard because. this would have come as quite of a shock. And I think it does for really all of us that we can sometimes tend to overstate our wisdom on things for a variety of reasons. And we can tend to think that we're mature when we're not. And that was totally the case here. And it can happen. I'll give you like a couple of totally different examples. So, and this is by the way, mostly talking about church today. This is in the context of church, things that can destroy churches, uh, destroy what's going on in the life of a community. But I'll add these same exact dynamics are what can unravel your youth sports travel team, um, an athletic team in high school. Um, it can unravel a, a group of moms that serve their school on like a PTO kind of thing or whatever. Um, or it, can, it can unravel a group of friends. It can involve a, um, a gospel community. It can involve, uh, unravel a sorority or fraternity. I mean, it's the same dynamics of what can go wrong relationally, that, um, that all of it, all of it can play out the exact same way. But we can tend to think we're more spiritually mature than we are. So, um, you know, I'll give you two examples. So imagine a church um, where there's like this old deacon that's been around the church for you know 65 years and maybe is a major donor and all this. And there's been five pastors that have left in nine years. Maybe that's the kind of church you're raised in, all that. And they, they, they may think of themselves as like really spiritually mature because they've been around for a long time. They've, preachers have come, preachers have gone. They know the Bible. They've done all these things. Um, but, uh, but the interesting part is, is that they're really mean and they think of themselves as spiritually mature because of their age and because of how long they've been around But um, there's all sorts of turmoil they expect to be catered to. If they don't get your way, you'll be gone, that kind of thing. That'd be one example, all right? On one end of the spectrum, they think that they are spiritually mature and wise because of their age and their tenure and all these things. Maybe the money they give. Over here, you've got someone else. Again, I'm giving examples in the church, but you could do this on a team, um, with a group of friends, anything. Is imagine you've got like a, a teenager, you know? And they're doing a bunch of dumb things and their parents are like, like pleading with them Let's not do this, come on man. I mean there's no, there's no um, life here to substances or hooking up with people or whatever um, all, all the things you know, and um, but this teenager is at the peak of like bratty te- teenagerness and all that, and they're like, "Uh-uh, nobody can tell me what to do, and you don't know, and I know how to live, and I know what's best for me, and, and like I don't care about what the Bible may say and what parents may say and what my people in the youth group may say, and teachers and coaches and all these people that are like, "No, no, no, do this in the way." That I think I know how to live, and um, and they may think so because look how popular I am, and and look who wants me around, and so on and so forth, and may think of themselves as really wise because uh, because they're having a good time and because things are going a certain way for them. Uh, but people may think of themselves in a certain way, but it could be um, it could be a lot of different ways. Um, but what he, he zeroes in on is you think of yourself as mature, maybe because of what you know, maybe because of your gifts, maybe because of how old you are, maybe maybe because of how long you've been around, maybe because you think you've got it figured out, but um, what he points to is, I can tell you why you're immature, and he zeroes in on um, that um, the the jealousy and strife and these little factions of like, I follow this person, but not this person. So it's like these relational things is what um, Paul points to and says, actually, this shows the spiritual immaturity, which is really interesting. And I think this is really shocking because to put it even in more clear terms in church life... I think how, how I can go a lot of times is thinking that the most spiritually mature among us and like Christendom would be, you know, preachers of really big churches, uh, people that know the most Bible, uh, people that have been around at churches the longest, people that are the most gifted communicators or networkers or whatever the case would be, these must be the most spiritually mature people because they, they're the gifted ones and they're the ones that have been around the longest. And I'll say this: um, it, it should probably correlate. Those of us that know the Bible the best and those that uh, those that have uh, have walked with Jesus the longest and those that know the Bible the most, those should fuel us. That knowing the grace of Jesus even m- more clearly should. F- fuel maturity, but sometimes it can actually inflame pride. And, and this is what's so hard and how self-deceived we can often be is um, sometimes we can translate these things and learning about the grace of God and it can puff us up because of what we know. Um, it can make us feel superior because we've been uh, been around longer or because we preach or because of whatever. I mean, it could be so many different ways where um, we, we just uh, we just don't see that there's actually a ton of spiritual immaturity and jealousy and ugliness and how we relate with people and ugly pride and a lot more. Um, let's keep moving in verse Five and he's gonna he's gonna kind of go into the factions component here. He says, uh, "What then is Apollos? Um, that's that other like preacher leader in this church. Uh, what is Paul?" And he, here's the answer: Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now this is interesting. So he's like, all right, so if you want to just bullet down, he's talking about himself here. Paul, I mean, I would say pretty significant leader, right? I mean, he's written two thirds of the New Testament and was an apostle that planted tons and tons of churches, would even speak authoritatively on the Lord's behalf in a way that I can't. Like I'm, I'm speaking derivatively of what's in the Bible and what's already been revealed through the Holy Spirit, through people. I speak derivatively of what's in the Bible. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was actually communicating God's truth, even in, in this letter here in 1 Corinthians. And he says, yeah, but at the end of the day, what am I and what's Apollos? So Apollos was a significant leader among them. And the answer is, is it just servants through whom you've believed. That's it. I mean, he had, had a role. That, that's what we are at the end of the day. I planted, so he's using like some farming analogy. I planted, Apollos watered. So like we've got roles, it doesn't mean we're not significant And by the way, this isn't just about preachers, by the way. This is about all of us. Like all of us have different roles, different gifts, different capacities in the things you do with your vocation, the relationships you have. It's not that we're insignificant, but it does put a little perspective here but God gave the growth, all right? So this is really significant. Um, uh, you know, the, Paul could write authoritatively, but if God were not awakening people spiritually and uh, awakening them spiritually so, so that there would be new life, uh, so that there would be growth in Christ, if, he were, if there weren't, uh, if there weren't um, the, the Holy Spirit and scripture and all these things working in concert, then we, there wouldn't be understanding of what's beautiful, what's to be pursued and the beauty of who God is, the glory of God, all this. Um, we each have our role to play that's significant But let's just be really clear on it, um, that if you've become a Christian, that that we could even say that came through the sharing, your roommate shared the gospel with you, um, through a campus ministry, through a Sunday sermon, through whatever. Um, It happened through someone, but at the end of the day, God gave the growth. God is the one that did these things, and then there were these people that God did things through, but it puts these people in perspective. It puts us in perspective. So neither, uh, this is even more aggressive, verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It doesn't mean you're not significant, but it's just like, hey, dial this back. And I think this is especially, like this is something that preachers and leaders that can honestly, like Amy and I joke all the time, some of the most impossible people out there, and we're allowed to say this since we are, are like, pastor guys and doctors because that's what my wife's training is in and if there's part of the reason is is you you feel like that you're the expert in every room you go in and um, and whether someone's listening to you speaking or whatever you can have a maybe an overinflated sense of self-importance and this is like hey let's dial that back buddy Let's dial that back. You've got a role. You've got gifts to be sure to be used. All that—that's great. Um, but look, let's just be really clear um, that um, the one who plants or, or waters in the end of the day isn't anything. Like you're, you're like even for me in my role. And best case, I'm an interim, I'm an interim pastor here at Redeemer, just a long-standing interim pastor. You know, going on 16 years. But at the end of the day, I'm here for a bit. And Lord willing, there will be other, maybe one of your kids is going to be um, the next one. I don't know. Um, That that there will be um, people that lead, that preach. And we're here for a season. We have a role. We have unique things to do. And it's not just true for preachers. It's true for you. And we each do these these things. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's God. Um, We will each receive his wages according to his labor. In verse 9, maybe frame more positively, we're God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so we all have roles. We have gifts to play. You have a job to do. During the week, you got things you do. You've got family. You've got relationships. We all are significant. We are connected to God, which gives us significance. Um, he is eternal, which means our investments and our sharing of the gospel and um, what we do to make people's lives better. That all those things matter. All of them are really significant, but we're just put in perspective here. We're um, we're God's field. Um, we're His building, and we're even His fellow workers. We join Him in what God's doing. But it just dials back any overinflated sense of self-importance and. Um, hopefully brings in a bit of humility. And so hopefully it just dials back some of the immature, um, immature traps that we can get bogged down in. All right, so I wanna just pull back for a second on what we've talked about through these few verses so far today and talk about two things that ruin churches and, um, and I would add again, just to be clear other organizations. So if you think about maybe why you've had, if you're a coach, if you've had a team that just felt off one year and it just did not gel, even though there was a lot of talent, um, or, um, or it could be your sorority where you've had people that have left mad and dropped out and also, I mean, all sorts of drama or whatever. I mean, you could think anything, anytime there's been a group of people, maybe a family falling out uh, that you have a family that used to be super close and now it's chilly, it's distant. That um, this is this is usually why right here. Even with people that may know a lot of Bible that have been around for a long time and all this stuff. And you're like, how did this happen with all these people that knew so much Bible and had been around? Like how in the world did things get so ugly? So two main reasons. Number one is going to be pride. Number one is going to be pride. And I'm going to reread verses five through seven just so you can hear them. You know, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you've believed. I planted Apollos watered. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God gives the growth. What that's really pushing Back on is an overinflated sense of self, and um, and look at it can play out in so many different ways. I've been talking a lot about you know um, you know been around for a long time. That can be one, and by the way, that can even be true. Redeemer, it's not just it's not just true for a church that's been around for eighty years and that deacon that's been here for sixty of them, and and it could be. I've been around since twenty eleven. And you know what I mean? It could be, it could be a lot of different things. It could be a pastor with the same perspective, too. Um, but there's a sense of um, those certainly can be where uh, knowledge and longevity can make you feel like you, you should ha- have have a say, you should have whatever, and people should do what, whatever you're going to want to do. But that's not it. It can be, uh, do you know where I, I studied, where I got my master's and my PhD? You know, Do you know, um, it could be like an intellectual sense of, you. this is why you need to respect me, this is why you need to do what I'm saying, and this is why you'll always be wrong no matter what you say or do, is because of where I studied. Or maybe I'm the better athlete than you, um, or I've got more discipline than you, and I work out, and you just do whatever, and I cold plunge, and I whatever. I mean, it could, just on and on. Uh, that and and it can be that you just can't be wrong. And whether it's in marriage or in business or in church, that anytime somebody says something to you, it's like, I understand why you're saying that, but you're wrong, you know? And, and no matter what, like you, you're you gonna completely flip out if you receive even the most gentle correction professionally, if your spouse or roommate offers anything, hey, would you mind cleaning up the dishes? Well, I do the dishes all the time, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I do, you're the one, and while you're on the topic, let me tell you a few things that, I, that I'm frustrated about you. And, um, and you could do so many things along like, this. It could be political tribalism and echo chambers, um, where we, we talk, where things make such sense when we talk with those who see things the same way, and it all makes a lot of sense, and, uh, but perhaps, uh, perhaps, perhaps maybe not as wise as we may think, and uh, perhaps very mean um, when engaging others that are just kind of faceless and out there. So, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, there are so many different ways here, but, um, but what, what this is all getting at is pride and ego is probably our biggest barrier to maturity in so many ways. And yes, we do need to learn the Bible. That's a big part of spiritual maturation. And yes, we need to, um, we need to learn to grow in prayer and hopefully being around for a long period of time is a grace to you for maturity. But here's the thing. This is, this is the little like small, like maybe small print and all of this is that if while you're learning these things if you don't address an oversized ego and pride what can happen is you cannot even see it you'll think you're spiritually mature this is the whole context of first Corinthians I've been around a long time I know these things do you know where I studied and I mean do you know do you know who I am basically and do you know what I've done and do you know my discipline do you know do you know these different aspects of, of my past and not realize that this ego has grown out of check and um, and there's this sense of self-importance and you might be one in power that's doing this. You might be out of power and wish that you were, but um, it ends up being just so destructive, so destructive. Um, pride is almost always um, the, the biggest problem for almost all of us, and um, it can be in a marriage. Like I, I love Tim Keller has said this about marriage, that, um, that once you get to a point in your marriage that the biggest barrier, that you would understand this, that the biggest barrier in my marriage is me, not her that once you come and you really believe that, and you don't just say it, that your biggest is not her figuring some stuff out or him figuring some stuff out, but me, me addressing my own pride and my own sense of self-importance and the fact that I don't like to be wrong and I don't like to be correct, that once I can address that, we have a chance for an incredible marriage, especially if both of us are doing it, you know? And so I think it's just really significant. So pride is an enormous, enormous barrier and sometimes a long tenure and lots of Bible knowledge can inflame that. It shouldn't because that... There's passages like this in it everywhere that are like, dial it back, buddy, dial it back. Uh, Jesus is the one we're going after here. You're not the star of the show. There's lots of Bible on that, but man, we, are, we can be self-deceived and um, it's, it's um, really important to call it out. Number two, uh, number two would be, so if number one is uh, pride, unresolved conflict slash strife would be, would be the other one. And you can see this in verse three um, where it's like, hey, there's jealousy and strife among you and um, you know, you're know you acting in a very human way. You think of yourself as next level, but this is incredibly human. And even verse four that talked about, I follow Paul, you follow Apollos. So the other church ruiner and, um, and also organization ruiner and relationship ruiner is just unresolved conflict and strife. Look, to be clear... I'm not saying that the goal, goal here is no conflict. I worded that carefully. It doesn't mean that um, we need to, that a successful marriage, a successful gospel community, a successful sorority, a successful football team, a successful business is going to be one where there's no conflict. It's impossible, and I don't think that's even the goal. That conflict is going to happen. We're going to see things different way. You're going to fight in marriage. You know, the big choice in marriage is who do you want to fight with? Uh, who do you want to fight with? And are we going to are we going to handle it? Um, are we going to handle it in a wise and godly way? And we're going to communicate in a clear way. And so, uh, unresolved conflict, where um, I've noticed this a lot in West Texas, we're not like a direct culture for the most part. Some of you are. I realize it. You have no problem saying, You made me mad. I just want to tell you right now. Like, and that, that can be really good in a lot of ways. Like, you can be really clear. But there's a lot of you that are like, Hey, did that hurt your feelings? You know? <laughs> no, I'm fine. And like, it's silent for three days, but like, obviously it hurts your feelings. And so, um, we're like, you like carrying that offense and then something else has and you like happens and like, you're keeping a ledger, you know, and oh, and this happened and this happened and this happened and I mow the lawn and I do this and I do this and they don't do this. And you know, and I've served like this and they didn't do what I wanted here and whatever. I mean, it's just like, there can be this long ledger and, um, and like, like bitterness that begins to build and, um, and where the conflict is unresolved and you just kind of seethe and resentment and and it or it can be the other way where it's just strife where there's just lots and like you don't have any problem saying it. Um, like in fact you say it all the time, but everywhere you go, like you need to be really like if you look at your life and there's just all this conflict around you all of the time. Like, and you're the common denominator for a lot of that drama and a lot of these things that are happening. There's a point whenever you've got to take stock of this and say, and just own it and be like, man, like there's, and you may know a lot of Bible or not, and you may have been around church a lot or not, but just realize, man, like you're on your, your fourth travel team in three years with your child you know, and you, uh, you've changed schools three times in six years, and you've, I mean, whatever. I mean, you could do this with a million different things, and there may be good reasons for all those, so don't get defensive, all right? This is, the, this is where we're, this whole conversation, but just even ask yourself some questions about, man, I, I change jobs all the time. Uh, could that be, like, I've burned through almost all my close family relationships. They're all distant. Huh, that's interesting, you know, and this is, you may think of yourself as very spiritual mature, you know, Um, You're running through your spiritual resume right now, like arguing with me. I used to be on a church staff. My daddy's, you know. Okay, all right, all right. I hear you, but uh, but at some point, um, these things are actually just signs of immaturity. Now, this is not to zing you. Paul's actually just trying to make a point of like some humility here, which is the whole point where we realize that it's not about me, it's not about my gifts, it's not about my tenure, it's not about what I know, it's not where I studied, it's not how uh, the cold plunges, it's not anything. It's, um, it's all about Jesus and I've got a role to play, you've got a role to play that um, once we can understand that ego gets much smaller, now we're in a position to hear one another and not be defensive. Oh, okay, this hurt you. Well, tell, all right, how can I do that better in the future? and like a two-way street of relationship and hearing each other out on these things. So these are the two things. And if you think about, like if your sorority blew up last year or you had a workplace where a whole lot of people left, a bunch of employees were disengaged, it's probably these two things of pride um, from supervisors, from employees, unresolved conflict and strife. Um, Those are probably some of the biggest reasons why they do. Let's keep moving, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. And by the way, the foundation that he laid here is the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ resurrected, just to be super clear on the front end. For no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's what I'm getting at. That's the foundation, what Jesus has done, his life, death, resurrection, what Jesus is about. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work uh, one has done. So you're going you're gonna to live a life. You're going to do things, and it's either going to reveal whether it was built on the foundation of Jesus or not. Like, that's how this thing's going to go. If the work that, um, if the work that what anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So let me just really quickly say what this isn't saying and then what it is saying. Three things it's not saying. Number one, it's not saying you can lose your salvation. People have pointed to this passage and for the life of me, I can't figure out why uh, because um, it actually says "Though he, he, you'll still be saved. It even says that. Um, the stuff you've done won't survive, but if you've believed in Jesus, even if you've kind of lived things that haven't been based on him, those things won't last, but um, but you're you saved because of what Christ has done and your faith in him, all right? Number two, this isn't about purgatory, and I don't mean the ski resort near Durango, um, that some people have said this points to purgatory. Again, for the life of me, I can't figure out how. Uh, this doesn't talk about any intermediate state. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does. Number three, um, this isn't about the quote-unquote secular part. Parts of your life. I've heard that taught that you know that the things that will last are coming to church and reading your Bible and maybe sharing your faith, maybe giving to the church and I'd say sure. Um, those things all could last if they're done from a heart of faith towards the Lord. Uh, but this is also not what this is saying, that if you work for Jesus in your vocation and you raise your children to the glory of God and you um, engage people while you go get a fast food burger and you, whatever, and you could do those cold plunges for the glory of God and you could you could, um, you could could study and go to those, uh, get a master's at that place for the glory of God and on and on and on. Everything can be done for Jesus. And so he's not saying that only the, the so-called called spiritual things that actually the Bible says he wants all of it. All of it lived in submission to him, every aspect. So what it is saying is what I mentioned earlier, that Paul built everything on a foundation of Christ and him crucified. And when you build things, think about the context here, when you build things not on that foundation and you make it about you and you've got this big ego that can't be wrong and you can't be corrected and you can't be challenged and you pout when things don't go your way and you sulk um, when, when someone doesn't choose your idea and on and on and on. Uh, that when we, do this, that we build our life on a foundation that isn't Jesus. And when we make it about us and we have a really big self and a big ego and we've got all this conflict and bitterness stews and there's all this division, that when we do this, none of that stuff lasts. It was not built on a foundation of Jesus. Now you're saved, you love Jesus, and, but like this stuff over here is gonna go away. Like in fact, it ended up, not only will it not last eternally, but it actually ended up being destructive. And so our pride is confronted, our unhealthy conflict is addressed, and we're pointed towards is the gospel of Jesus. Let's keep moving to the last part of this passage, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Holy Spirit dwells in you, like really quick on this, like here's the Bible on this one topic. Um, Garden of Eden was a temple of sorts. God dwelt among humanity. Um, it was lost because of sin. God restored that partially through the tabernacle and the te- the temple in the Old Testament. God dwelt there um, through mediation, like in one room, through priests, through sacrifices. It was kind of like it was, it was true and real but, but limited. And then Jesus in John 1 is described as having tabernacled among among us, that he was the temple incarnate, which makes sense because God had come to humanity. Now the Holy Spirit indwells us, and you can be described if you're a follower of Christ as a temple. In Individually and corporately, because the Spirit dwells. Like you, You're a walking mobile temple now, and that's individually, but this is talking corporately, like us together. And look at this, you'll see why. If anyone destroys God's temple, uh, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you plural you, y'all, or if you're from like New Jersey, used guys or something, I don't know. Um, You are that temple, all right? So this is saying you together, we are a temple, we are a holy structure. And I'm not talking about this part. I'm glad we've got a spot to get out of the dirt in West Texas. I'm grateful for that. But what makes us a temple is not like this. This is is just a meeting space. You, me, we're the temple. We're the dwelling of the Holy Spirit even together. And what he's getting at is, um, it is such a serious thing. If you destroy this, And if you destroy this, however intentionally or unintentionally, that if you do it on purpose because you're not a Christian, it's like, hey, there's literally hell to pay. This is the. It's one of many reasons why there's a justice to come for those that refuse God's grace. But here's the reality: it is a serious thing to destroy God's people. And um, this is saying that we are God's. We are. This is this holy thing. Don't do this lightly. Don't unravel it uh, because of ego and pride, and don't unravel it because of conflict we're unwilling to wade through and things that we're willing to own. Um, so here's the thing, here's been my observation, that if you think about where church things have gone really poorly, um, that, um, and I'm, I'm going to leave out, like there's a few things, like you may be, there may have be, been a big scandal of like an affair, or like a sexual abuse thing, God forbid, um, that that's a whole different level, and a few of you have seen those kind of things, probably the majority of you, if you've got church hurt and you've been pulled back from church and you're like, yeah, I'll do Jesus maybe, but I ain't doing all that. There's a really good chance it was a conflict like this, like something that went really bad, like between two people that you kind of liked and it, or maybe you're one of the two people, people kind of sided with them. And at the root of it always is immaturity and pride and conflict, all that. This is being addressed here. And let me just make one more observation that, um, most of the time where I've seen people like hurt other Christians, it hasn't been intentional. I've seen a few times where it's like, ooh, I think that might be like a wolf trying to like unravel people. Most of the time, it's like people that are hurting, that um, they've, something has hurt them, and they have maybe even legitimately have been aggrieved by something. And, uh, but like here's the reality, I've heard it said before, hurting people hurt people. And you can unintentionally, like I'm saying this just as a caution, if you've been through a lot and there's been these terribly hard things that have happened and there's like this bottomless pit of hurt and there's almost not enough care in the world and not enough I'm sorry's in the world to soothe that pain, you can unintentionally hurt people that are actually trying to care for you. And I've seen this over and over again where someone has legitimately been hurt and someone's done wrong to them, uh, but then you can begin to unravel entire gospel communities. And again, it, um, at churches, I've seen churches split over these kinds of things, way more than like theological issues. And again, it can happen in your workplace and in your shorty, in your home, and your travel teams, everything else. Um, let me finish with um, a beautiful, I think awesome dunk here um, of hope. Verses 21 through 23. So, bottom line, let no one boast in men. I think that sounds like a great idea right now. How about you? Um, let, let's, uh, let's, boast, let's boast in Christ, for all things are yours. All things, you're, like we're clamoring for attention and who gets to be right and who's in first place here, but it's all yours. You're going to inherit all that's Christ, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, all you, you're sons and daughters of the most high. all that 's his are you 're going to inherit. you don 't need to win this argument, you don 't got to be right, you don 't have to almost any of these things. And how about this? here 's the concluding part. and you are Christ's, and Christ is God. How beautiful is that? You belong to Jesus. All that's Jesus is yours. Jesus belongs to the Father. Um, this is who it is that we are. So then we can just take a step back and not have to have big selves. Um, we can operate in our giftedness, but it doesn't have to be about us. You know, It can be about Jesus. And I hope that this is compelling to you to believe in Jesus for the first time, even let go of some petty conflicts in your marriage and some friendships with the church, at your workplace, whatever they are, address them, get them straight, um, for sure, you know, all to God's glory. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask for the Lord to do this. Lord, would you do this? Would you work beautifully and powerfully among your people um, that our hearts would be receptive to you, um, whether it's for the first time, as someone believes in you or um, that there'd even be some repentance of maybe some relationships that have gone sideways and sideways and where bitterness has been... Uh, has been developed and even cultivated and where our pride has been way too much. Um, Lord, dial us back, Lord, dial us back. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.